Welcome back to Gnostic Insights. My name is Dr. Sid Ropp, and I'm your host. back to Gnostic Insights. This week we'll hear part two of my interview with John Munter, a Gnostic who has a Christian background. He's very much a follower of the Gospel of Thomas, which is one of the Gnostic books, and he has a unique way of interpreting the Gospel of Thomas. I'd like to remind you that knowledge is basically a collection of what I call memes or information, right? And so you have bundles of knowledge that come as a package or a set from various traditions, various types of teachings, various types of books. And this gospel, according to Thomas, is one of those collections of memes. These are supposedly the secret teachings of Jesus. Now, you know, I don't think that, personally, I don't believe that there are secret teachings If the Father wants to be known, he wants to be known by everybody. If the Christ came to redeem us, he came to redeem everybody. I don't see why the Father or Jesus or any other Gnostic apostle or proponent would keep secret knowledge from us. In my way of looking at these things, The only reason some Gnostic knowledge is hidden, it's not because it's being kept a secret from us. It's because we have filters that block it out. So the hiddenness is generated by our inability to listen or understand or conceive of this Gnosis that comes from God. The secrecy of Gnosis I don't think should be considered as being purposely kept from us, because it is God's will that we know. It is God's will that we do remember. So I just wanted to add my two cents in there at the beginning of this discussion with John about teachings from the line of Gnosticism that he is an expert in. Let's continue on then with the Gospel of Thomas for 44 and 45, and then we'll talk about my book a bit since you've read it yeah okay go ahead the conversation begins really farther back this whole section before saying 50 kind of points at the the jewish perspective It, it addresses their issues so we see in saying 42 jesus says become pastors by it's a very very short saying it's so amazingly short but you know it's the essence of what we're going to talk about here well, is it similar? Wait, is it similar to you're in the world but not of the world? Is right, yeah. Okay, like don't Sorry. get emotionally involved in the fights over the destruction of, of various things, uh, <laughs> planet outside the father, and right. uh, become passersby and stuff. Okay, so in number 43, his disciples said, Who are you that you should say these things to us? Jesus said to them, 
You do not realize who I am from what I say to you, but you have become like the Jews, for they either love the tree and hate its fruit, or love the fruit and hate the tree. So this is what, what he's talking about. Don't get caught up in these internecine squabbles between Jewish factions. For example, the temple lovers versus the people out in the desert trying to create a revolution is really what he's talking about here. The people in the temple were the, the tree and the people out in the desert were the fruit and they hate each other and <laughs> you shouldn't be doing that. Mm-hmm. So, and then what do you mean by that? Well, number 44 addresses that. Jesus says, whoever blasphemes against the father will be forgiven. And whoever blasphemes against the son will be forgiven. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven either in heaven or on, or on earth. So it's saying that it's okay to have different ideas about the father. And it's okay to have different ideas about the Son. People just do that. But violating the Holy Spirit is a difference in kind because it involves uh, violence against uh, someone else. And we see this from saying 45. Grapes are not harvested from thorns. (laughs) Don't be a thorn. Mm -hmm. Nor are figs gathered from thistles, for they do not produce fruit. A good man brings forth good from his storehouse. An evil man brings forth evil things from his evil storehouse, which is in his heart. says evil things. Uh, for out of the abundance of the heart, he brings forth evil things. So it's talking about, you know, being violent and being thornish and that type of thing. And you see that from, you go, well, yeah, but what about I'm right and you're, he's wrong and this and that. Mm-hmm. And it discusses John the Baptist in 46. Uh, Jesus says, among those born of women from Adam until John the Baptist, there is no one who is superior to John the Baptist that his eyes should not be lowered before him. Yet I have said, whichever one of you comes to be a child will be acquainted with the kingdom and will become superior to John. So it's talking about there's a quantum shift up to the higher self beyond, you know, he's right and he's wrong and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, John the Baptist was giving speeches about the moral corruption of the Herodians and criticizing their niece marriages or marriages with like their niece, for example. Mm-hmm. And so he's being very righteous and and all this, and that's one of the things that got him killed, because he was thought of as a subversive that was going to side with an enemy who would maybe attack the kingdom. And so as a preemptive mm-hmm. strike, they really killed him as a preemptive uh, measure there, and because he was becoming a social activist like that. And Jesus is saying basically, you know, there's a higher dimension here. It goes on to 47, 48. If two make peace with each other in this one house, they will say to them out and move away, and it will move away. So this is a quantum shift again. Um, And this is one of the conventions of Thomas I hadn't mentioned before. There are doublets in the Gospel of Thomas. 48 and 106, for example, are extremely similar. But in 48, you wonder, well, what do you mean? To who make peace? Two people make peace in each other's house, or, or is it talking about something else? And in 106, we find when I was talking about within a person, because you become one of the sons of Seth, as I mentioned earlier, and it's the, the divinization theme again here, where you, you're outside of time and space and you see mountains rise and fall. And so you have a number of these doublets within Thomas that, that do that, where the second saying in the doublet explains the first part of the doublet, the first mm. saying, yeah. For example, one important um, doublet will be 55 and 80, where in 55, you see, well, the world is a corpse. Okay, well, that's kind of a downer. Um, But then in number 80, 
you see the world as a body. And the body is different from a corpse because the body could have a live spirit throughout it. And it's really talking about, from the context, Sophia within the body of the earth, the Holy Spirit moving within creation. Even though, on the one hand, it's a material is a corpse. On the other hand, there's a spirit within it. So that's, that's kind of the teaching in this doublet of the Gospel of Thomas. So anyway, that's mm-hmm. really about all I had to say about that. About the Gospel of Thomas. Do you have a book on this topic, did you say? Yes, I published this in 2016. It's called The Integral Gospel of Thomas Made Easy. Oh, and good. I've actually explained more to you today about it than is in the book. And in terms of the other conventions I've mentioned, I basically only talk about the context convention and the Gospel of Thomas, where everything kind of flows together throughout the whole Gospel of Thomas. And just trying to make a simple point that it's all connected. And that was the idea behind the Gospel of Thomas, too, is that there's um, an integral, a non-dual perspective. I see the Gospel of Thomas as kind of a modified non-dualism, where you recognize evil in the world, like the demiurge is in number seven. And you also see archons in the Gospel of Thomas. Archons are number 30, where Jesus is making the distinction between the limited consciousness of an archon. Are we talking about number 30? I'll read it because it's a difficult thing to parse. I added in the Greek version of the saying 30. So most sayings of Gospel Thomas 30 you'll find are in the Coptic. But the the Greek adds a great deal to it in the second sentence of it. All right, let's hear that. Jesus says, where there are three, they are small gods. And I have small in parentheses. It's not really literally there, but it's, it's, that's what it means. And where there is only one, and I capitalize one, I say I am with him. Lift the stone, and there you will find me. Split the wood, and I am there. So people translate this. It's always talking about the Trinity, where there are three. No, it's really talking about three small gods. And this was taken actually, from a previous work uh, that was published before the Gospel of Thomas, which is the uh, second apocalypse of James, uh, where you see these three gods several times, these archons, grouped together. So when you see three, it really refers to that second apocalypse of James, where there's three gods, and it's clear there. And so where there's only one, I say them with them. So this is the non-dual, I am with him. Lift the stone and there you'll find me. Split the wood and I am there. So it's a cosmic consciousness in the second versus having this small God consciousness in the, in the first part of the number 30. My brother and I have been talking about this very topic all week long. And oh. that is the, that's the gist of my next podcast. So this is good information to be coming just at this time. And this me. is actually a doublet. Um, this lift the stone and there you find me split the wood. I am there is actually in number 80, but it's reversed. It's actually split the wood first and then lift the stone second. And so what the guy did who translated this in, in, in the Coptic was he just decided, well, this is just a duplication. I'll just delete this sentence here, you know. But no, it's not a duplication. It's a, it's a doublet that has definite meaning there. So. Well, in my way of looking at the Gnosticism, I would say, you know, I talk about the mud versus the meat. And so you lift the stone and there is the lower consciousness of the uh, material world. And uh-huh. you, you split the wood, and there you find the life of the fullness that has come down as a second-order power. Uh-huh. Yeah, and so you see actually also archons and saying number 50 as well. 
although it's not clear. But this whole number 50 was lifted kind of body and soul from the second apocalypse of James, where the archons are very clearly delineated. And scholars are just not recognizing that very, very honestly. So Jesus said, if they say to you, where did you come from? Say to them, we came from the light, the place where the light came into being on its own accord and established itself and became manifest through their image. Mm -hmm. If they say to you, it is that you say we are its children. We are the elect of the living father. If they mm -hmm. ask you, what is a sign of your father in you? Say to them, it is movement and repose. It really means it is the movement of the spirit and repose in the higher self is what it really means. So here is you have the archons challenging, just like you had the goddess Inanna was being challenged uh, in her Sumerian flights to the world of the dead, for example. It's the same thing. We came from the light. And so when you're challenged, you, you don't attack or you don't uh, become threatened. You just say, no, we came from the light, or the light came to being on its own accord and established itself and became manifest through their image. So that's interesting because you're recognizing your cousins of these archons, that the light established them as well your light established see, see, them. now I, I i i would interpret that not as archons but as um aeonic uh forebearers you know that in the fullness of god that, that that's the they oh that's very kind of you yeah <laughs> <laughs> i'm not that kind i've got more of a cynical nature but <laughs> anyway but if you read this you know the apocalypse of james you'll see that it's really talking about archons there's because that's the source of it anyway. Okay. And then they say, is it you? You're, they're challenging you again. Is it you? Say, we are its children. We are the elect of the living father. Well, you see, that's what I'm saying. We are the children of the eons. We yeah. are the elect of the living father. So that, that would be the they. And here's the question. You know, so the would you be saying that the aeon would be your higher self then? You would have well, a, a I say that our higher self. self, our big S self, is yeah. a fractal of the actual fullness of God, of the entirety of the Holy Spirit. Okay. That's the one so, which we are still, a part. we are the fruit yeah. of the one. So, so if they ask you, what is the sign of your father in you? Say to them, it is movement and repose. So it's not. It's movement. It's yeah, movement. So you, it, so it's, it's, yeah, it's go that, ahead. It's that peace. And that quietude that leads to the movement of the spirit through you. Well, and it's literally movement. What's the difference between a rock and yeah. a uh, a tree is that the tree moves, it grows. Yeah. And the rock is inert. If you don't have movement, then you're just in, in the peace of the higher self and everything's fine. Yeah. For us, yes. That's true. Yeah. And I, you know, I like your whole use of quantum theory and natural theory with your gospel tripartite tractate because it makes a lot of sense you know you can even see imminence in there for example when when you have the quantum foam that's rushing around doing mm -hmm. its own thing and you say that there's really they love they love it so much that you can't talk them out of it <laughs> you know yeah to me that's divine imminence there you know it just all that rushing around and um, doing their own thing. Well, see, and I look at it as the flip. To me, that's the demiurgic. To me, that's the arconic is the quantum foam level because they are rushing around doing their own thing. They're not doing God's will. And so yeah. order had to be imposed upon it through yeah. the demiurge. 
you know, I get the sense from you that it's not so much in, in evil, the fall took place and it's just a kind of a process of yeah. discovery. And, and so, so I like that idea also of the universal salvation at the end where all the evil will just disappear. Right. It, that's what gets burned off. That's what gets so, left behind. So in the Big Bang, you have the logo smashing into bits, as you say, in number yeah. 78. And then you kind of have a big crunch where their end will be like, their beginning that that which will not be you know so everything right. will back together again almost like some theories hold yeah that's <laughs> but that if divine, I have... oh i found that quote that divine eminence in page 81 uh they won't cease from loving disturbance you know <laughs> yes and so it's not so much evil it's more like craziness yeah yes like we see at the social level <laughs> ever yeah. more so in this era in which we are now finding ourselves <laughs> and one thing i thought of that I, I i saw on page 112 you talked about chariots and yeah they're, they're in chariots and so that's kind of obscure passage what showed me something there is you quoted pass through it means if you're in a chariot you pass through every place of theirs which are below so that has a quality, to me, that's like the light body of a person where you, the light body can just transition through creation like a sailing ship and you know you can become a cloud or you can become, uh, kind of go into somebody else's lifetime and experience what theirs is like or that type of thing, that freedom of the light that can move yeah. around. And saying 22, for example, that's what it reminds me of where Shall we then, when you become, make the two one, when you make the inside like the outside, the outside like the inside, and the above like the below, when you make the male and the female one the same, so the male will not be male, the female will not be female, when you fashion eyes in the place of an eye, and a hand in the place of a hand, and a foot in the place of a foot, and a lightness in the place of a lightness, then you'll enter the kingdom. So that, to me, kind of gives that flow of the chariot that can just go through anything and be anything in the free. Well, you know, in light. my... In, in my Gnostic gospel, in my Gnostic gospel, in, in the tripartite tractate, the idea is that the material world, we have a one-to-one -one relationship with every aspect of the material world, but we have our second-order power, aeonic self, on top of it, right? It's melded to it. So we're melded to that material world on a one-on-one -on -one relationship and then that's the job of the messiah or the christ it's to return us all to return that duality back into the one uh, does that make sense yeah here's one thing i see a difference between uh, uh these gospels and and your perspective here in page 197 you talk about the hylic and and you're saying you're able to discern see and discern more clearly after death and you'll find in the Gospel of Philip and the Gospel of Thomas that they're saying, oh, wait a minute. No, you <laughs> that can be problematic if you wait till after death to uh, become a spiritual person because you become you can be susceptible to being locked into the wheel of reincarnation where you're so imbued with your own thoughts. So you don't have a body, but you still have all the thoughts yeah, of your past sure. life. And so instead of going to the light, for example, you're just immersed in 
your problems, for example. Yeah, you know, but 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 it does say that at some point there will be a final roll up. Isn't that true? That this world yeah. is going to pass away. So at some point, yes, the Gnostic that's uh, going to be clipped. Yeah, Gnostic perspective is that we will everything will be brought back to unity again. Yeah. Well, that's point. it. It has to be brought back to unity because if we yeah. are expressions of the fullness of God, yeah. if we don't all get back up. God will be diminished. God needs to be returned to fullness. And that's, mm. that's our whole job down here is to pick up that fallen demiurge to, to redeem that, that material world and bring it back up to the ethereal plane. So I do think, I agree with you, if people wait until after they die to begin experiencing their spirituality, they will be lost after their soul exits this material body. Yeah, I agree with you. They're going to be stuck in a hellacious place, but not forever until the end of time. It's not eternal. It's only for that period of time. And yeah. then comes the judgment. And then they will every, it doesn't, you know, the Bible says every knee will bow, every tongue confess. Mm -hmm. So I think that the father wants everyone to come home and the father gets his way. Yeah. And I also think that there's something to be said for uh, soul gifts. And we come here to experience uh, various qualities that we each have a, a spiritual gift. And there's a positive reason for us to be here as well to experience the full range of life. Um, a certain, I think we all have a certain, I don't know, a soul essence, for example, that is. Um, it's kind of unique from Simon Magus's perspective. And, and I think mine too, you know, the, the self is the indestructible dewdrop of um, yes. consciousness. Right. But in our soul is our created, uh, is a creation, even though it's, right. it's, it's maybe eternal. It's also created. And uh, by all the different life experiences that we have in our various incarnations and um yeah so that's and you know that's and i experienced that as really the ecstatic part the i didn't i didn't experience um my my dewdrop of consciousness as ecstatic i didn't that's not what i experienced as ecstatic it was uh the soul huh. it was a soul and it, was it was a soul resident with another soul you know yeah. it's that it's that shared experience that i experienced as um divine well, I'm hoping I'm hoping that when we all return to the fullness, that we will continue to have our uh, unique point of view and our unique soul experience, and we'll be able to connect even more so on that deepest level with everybody that we love, with everybody that we come into contact with. It will be ecstatic, that ecstatic experience. Yeah, I'm a follower of Mar uh, Marianne Williamson as well. And I take her lessons daily. And um, that's one of the things that her perspective, of course, on miracles um, teaches is that all the negativity is really unreal. It's just like a bad dream, basically. Yeah. yeah. And that, you know, the only thing that's real is love that you experienced. Right. This is true because then that's what, so the negative experiences get left behind there. That's the part that won't go on. That's the part that dies, truly dies, but yeah. the life and the returning back to our aeonic essence is what goes on. And that's why it's also ecstatic.
You know, I think that the the eons of the fullness wanted to incarnate this whole thing of making the material world, including the fall, and then us coming down into it, and then the Messiah's third order powers coming down into that. The eons don't come down directly. The, the eons of the fullness are parked up there in the fullness. And it's us. It's the fruit of the eons that came down to have this living experience. And that's why you're finding the connection with the other person's soul to soul. It's so ecstatic because this is what they were after in the first place. They love this kind of thing. And I think people that continue to reincarnate can't let go of the material world. They don't want to go home to the parents in the fullness. They want to continue to experience the richness of what we call life Mm -hmm. yeah but of course it's got its downsides (laughs) is there something else you want to say you were going to say something about jewish scholars that you're indebted to and how they've informed your view of jesus i dedicated my my first book the samaritan jesus was my first book and i dedicated that to josephus and also a contemporary jewish scholar called uh, Robert Eisenman, who published uh, several books, thousand pagers called the New Testament Code is one of them, and also one on James, the brother of Jesus. And I thought he uh, did a spectacular job in showing kind of the games that were being played by the four gospels. And of course, don't agree. Neither of them wanted to find a a savior at all. (laughs) And and that's one of the downsides, I think, of uh, Robert Eisenman is that Modern scholarship has, you know, thought of Jesus as kind of a fundamentalist guy, and it's too bad that it took that turn in terms of, instead of showing Jesus as kind of a, a wise man in the Greek mode coming into uh, Palestine. Mm-hmm. A sage, as the Chinese yeah. would put it. Right. I think Jesus actually spent time in Egypt and came into Palestine as a healer using uh, magical techniques and that type of thing and until he became a spiritual teacher and became acclimated to his higher self and became more the person that we know him as. But I, I do have a kind of a radical critique. I do think Jesus and Simon Magus were actually the same person. They were both disciples of John the Baptist. They both were Trinitarian. They were both magical and healing modalities and They just had to be split in the mind of the Roman Christians because the followers of Jesus, in some respects, were too radical for the Roman Christians to tolerate. So they had to divide out the personalities of of Jesus and Simon Magus and make them two different people. Do other scholars write about that, or is that no? I'm about the only one I think that I know of that came up with that idea. And one proof I give is that the figures had a, a consort. Like Helen, the prostitute, was supposedly the consort of Simon Magus, and Mary Magdalene was uh, supposedly the consort or chief disciple, disciple of the disciples of, of Jesus, and um, or apostle to the apostles, as they would say. There's also a third person called Helen of Adiabin, who I believe was the same person as these other two women who came to Jerusalem in the 30s and was a Jewish convert by the Baptist group. And she built a temple and uh, she built some palaces and she built a mausoleum and she funded the temple and funded the, the Baptist groups. And I think she was the, Helen, the Queen of Audubon, was the real Mary Magdalene, hmm. and, uh, the same person as Helen, the prostitute. And, and you see, you know, Magdalene, Audubon, and kind of a name recognition there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Good. And what's the name of that book again? The Samaritan Jesus. All right. And are these books of yours still available on Amazon or where do you get them? I believe they are, yeah, on Amazon. Like that. John Munson, right. It's been a great conversation. I bet you we could talk quite a lot more. We could talk for hours. <laughs> I think your, your book should be read by Christians because it's really a rethinking and bringing up to the modern era. Right. Well, that's what's so wonderful about discovering the tripartite tractate. It is a Christian book, and I, I so strongly believe it should be in the New Testament. It should be right there at the beginning. It's, it bridges between the Old and New Testament because it's cosmological, like Genesis. Yeah, it, it's, in itself, it is a reinterpretation of the Sophia myth of the fall, which was the original uh, Samaritan Sethian uh, viewpoint. But as we know, there's no gender in God anyway. So it's okay to reinterpret things that way. And it was intended to speak toward the, the Roman Christian uh, mindset. And you're, um, you're reliving that experience. Yeah. Wow. That's great. That's very nice. Well, thank you. Okay, John, I think we're out of time. Onward and upward. Well, until upward. next time, huh? That's okay. You have right. a great day, hon. Now, after this interview was completed, a couple of days later, John wrote to me and said that he had been thinking about the interview, which he believes went very well, and he does not feel as though he adequately explained the meaning of verse 44. And so he was wishing he had said this, and I'll tack it on here at the end. He says how he understands the quote, Whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either on earth or in heaven, end quote. He says it's like when someone goes to confession. Nobody outside of yourself can wave a magic wand and make it go away or make your errors or sin go away. You have to make recompense yourself. The various ideas you have don't affect anybody else but the sin against the Holy Spirit violates your relationship with the Holy Spirit. So the other person can say, oh, it's no big deal, but that's why these things make you still feel terrible, because you have violated a relationship with the Holy Spirit. So it doesn't matter that the priest on the other side of the wall of confession gives you absolution. It's actually absolution from the Holy Spirit that you need to seek. And he also said that we talked some about universal salvation, and he wants you to know that, quote, another thing that gives me pause, though, is that universal salvation would leave an etheric or karmic record to deal with, and maybe that is something. Either you deal with it now or you deal with it later and not just escape with a wave of a magic wand. And in this case, I think he's saying that magic wand is being waved by the Christ who forgives your sins. In my book, A Simple Explanation of the Gnostic Gospel of the Tripartite Tractate, I have a chapter devoted to what I call overcoming death. And it explains how it is that those sins are forgiven and where those sins go to and how it is that you repent and you turn to salvation because I believe that everyone will be saved at the end. That's called universal salvation. So we don't have to worry about the people that have died without confessing Christ, because everyone will have an opportunity to view their own sin, repent of their own sin, and then pray to the Christ for forgiveness and redemption, that that's the way it works, even if it's after your death. 
So that is how we don't have a karmic record going forward if we repent and confess and are redeemed. Once we are redeemed, those sins are forgotten. They're literally cast away. They're burned away in the fire, the fire of the Holy Spirit. And so you don't have that burden of sinful memes carrying you forward. Okay, that's all I want to say this week. God bless us all and onward and upward.